All right, it is December 28th, 2017, but we're about to start off the Detroit is Different kickoff for 2018. I have a person that has rised amongst the ranks, the power rankings of successful, talented, hilarious black people, and Kayla got me. <laughs> Kayla, how are you today? I'm good, how are you? All right, she's a part of the team. A uh, very strong creative uh, makeup channel, but more so than makeup channel and photographer and videographer and editor. She is the daughter of somebody that I've grown to respect more and more just by seeing a move, not necessarily in public eye as much as private eye in the sense of like interacting with so many people. We share a friend, Yusef Shakur, and a lot of other people. Ralph Gobby, how you feel? Brother Frazier, what's going on, sir? Everything's everything. Yeah. So to start off this Detroit is different conversation, um, it's a lot of different things that people do sort of know about you. And it's a lot of things that people don't know about you. And I hear say a lot more from your daughter now because she, she comes up and she'll say, well, this and my dad and that and my dad. And Let's start there. Being a dad. What is it like? Raising a daughter in 2017 that is so creative, that is so successful. Like, how have you done that? Let's start there, because as I look around many communities, right. you know, fatherhood, especially black fatherhood, is a topic that people talk about. Right. But um, exercise, it can be more challenging. But brother, than, Fraser, uh, other I, times, sometimes. I'm so glad you're doing this because uh, black fathers are a lot more present than we're given credit for. Number one, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not an anomaly. Uh, okay. You know, because if, if we were to buy into the, the the media construct, and unfortunately our community buys into it, mm -hmm. uh, and don't get me wrong, we got a lot to do as black men to step up to the plate. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of disadvantages, a lot of things to go against us, but uh, there are a, a number of fathers that are present. Uh, in mm -hmm. our community and we've got to highlight that and talk about that uh, so for me in 2017 being a father is everything okay. uh, that's a part of the reason why i stepped away from the police department uh when i left uh in 2012 uh because there were some things going on in my personal life that i, I i'm acutely aware uh that as a black man as a father that my daughter uh is a, a number one a product of me uh, but who she dates and her relationships are reflective of the kind of man that I am publicly and privately. And I achieved a lot publicly, uh, but my private life was going into the in, into the toilet, you know, literally, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress and some other issues I was dealing with that I don't use those as excuses. But by the same token, I had to take a step back and realize uh, what was more important for me to fight uh, to maintain a title or for me to reclaim number one, who I am as a black man because uh, I'm a king, uh, mm -hmm. I'm a father, and start to get back in touch with those things so I don't lose my daughter and, you know, subject her to a generational curse. So this past five years, man, has probably been the most uh, dynamic um, growth period in my 50 years on this planet. Hmm. And it really has gone to the relationship that me and my daughter have a rekindle. We've always been close. You know, I've always been a provider. Mm -hmm. uh, but one thing I would say uh, to, to black men, especially, it's not always about what you can give your child physically, uh, but it's about being present, mm -hmm. uh, being there for her and particularly for our queens, because a lot of people say that I spoil my daughter. And I won't say spoil now because she's, you know, a Michigan State graduate, Michigan State alum. Uh, she's a, a former college athlete. Uh, she is now professionally 
uh, doing her thing. She, you know, got her own house, got her own car. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I tried to do is expose her to things so that no young man could come up to her and offer her something uh, that her father couldn't give her. Uh, So she had a a very good sense of who she is, uh, what she deserves as a queen, and, you know, what her expectations are. Now, unfortunately, because of some personal issues of mine, I started to model something different publicly and privately, and I'm not proud of that at all. Mm -hmm. But by the same token, I think uh, the reason why my daughter and I are so close now, because uh, I took accountability for, for, for the places where I screwed up. And I, I took great measure to work on me as a person. So I chose my family. Uh, I chose my daughter. I chose my mental well-being uh, over career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, try, I mean, because you see cats fight for positions all the time. I mean, you know, what I went through ostensibly was a bad public divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, bottom line, no matter how you cut it, people call it sex scandal, whatever. Uh, but the reality is I, I went through something that, you know, men go through all the time. Mm-hmm. But and, and, you know, go ahead. And as you talk about that, that's that's kind of like in um in just how I look at it, and then my perspective mm-hmm. of life from my background. And I'm 35. Uh, you got me by some days, and understanding the fatherhood in a couple different contexts. Mm-hmm. But like, I look at the whole to do of what happens, right? To you, right, right. Um, of uh, of a woman. That you uh, that you slept with mm-hmm. that was on the force right. as well. Uh, you at one point in time were the chief of police right. of the city of Detroit, mm-hmm. and at that time, like I just looked at it like just you know it, it was it definitely filled up the barber shop conversation right. oh, yeah, with like yeah. three haircuts. Yeah, where it was like, look, man, you know that's just you know that's like almost like a, a spoil of war. Yeah, and, yeah. In in the weird. <clears throat> In the weird time right now, like, I feel like it's like a civil, like what the civil rights movement must have been like for white people just as a man. Because Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to see like, okay, what he did, this woman wanted to sleep with him. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how much of it she was really complicit as much as she felt that this is what I'm supposed to do because this is this man of power. Was she lulled to sleep because of this or because of that? And then just the impact of the understanding that, okay, men will generally, you know, uh, the, the. The reason why anyone it's like the reason why you're attractive to the woman you with is the reason why all these other women find right, you attractive. Exactly. So hey, it is what it is. But you, you know, know what? You know what I what, what I realized very quickly is number one, uh, I made poor choices. I made some mm. very poor choices, and you know, being a, a, a black man in the United States of America, mm-hmm. uh, our path is difficult enough as it is, mm-hmm. and there are places that talent will take you, uh, but only character will keep you, and you have to be just as concerned about your private deportment as you are your public deportment. And, you know, it got away from me, you know, and I, and I make no excuses. I, I don't blame anybody. You know, I don't even say I made a mistake. I made poor choices. And in those poor choices, though, um, to me, it's not what happens to a man. My dad always taught me a mistake is not a mistake if you learn something from it. Mm-hmm. So what I took from the experience was that, number one, um, who I model myself to be to my daughter has to be authentic. Uh, I have to be the person that I proclaim to be publicly. And if I have faults, that's fine. Uh, But to be honest with that, to deal with that, because you know what, what amazed me is so many people across the city was like, man, you shouldn't have stepped down. It ain't no big deal. It's just sex. You know, men been doing it for years. Yeah. And and that's really like a lot of like my perspective of looking at it. But for me, um, 
even though I, I could have fought for my job, uh, if I if I keep the job, but I don't address my character flaws and my issues and where I where I, where I failed my daughter and my ex wife, what did I really gain? And you know, so for me, uh, even though a lot of people, you know, especially brothers, and, and I had to tell so many young brothers, this is nothing I'm proud of, you know, because I, I I never will forget. Uh, when I first left, I had, you know, got a brand new car, you know, took my money, you know, retired, got a car, was about to ride off in the sunset. I'm at Jack's car wash, a young man driving my car. I was like, man, chief, you the man. How'd it feel to have all those women? And I said, young man, that is nothing I'm proud of at all. You know, a, a real man, a strong man, a healthy man uh, can commit to one woman. So I don't want you to think that I take any pride uh, in what happened at all. Uh, mm -hmm. So for me, um, you know, even though a lot of people thought I should have stayed and fought for my job, mm -hmm. uh, I felt that, number one, my profession didn't deserve that. Then on the heels of everything that happened with Mayor Kilpatrick and uh, Chief of Staff Christine Beattie, you know, it was just a pattern of things to where uh, I just love my city and I love my department and I love my family and I love myself more than that. Mm -hmm. uh, so when it got to that point where my personal life became a distraction, uh, I had to do some grown man stuff and look in the mirror and say, you know, what do you really what do you want your legacy to be? OK, so with that, Kayla, on the other side, growing through this whole like building this relationship of authenticity um, as your father is in like one of the most vulnerable states, because it's a lot of different archetypes, meaning basically it's a lot of ways people see a man and a lot of the ways that uh, we as men have been either socialized like we've been conditioned to look at the world is we solve problems we don't deal with problems unless it can be addressed and our emotions and and the way we make decisions should never be questioned because we're going to always be right so as you see this transition in the way that like kind of opens up opens up like new i guess perspectives of your dad like how is that for you growing older yourself well it w i would say it was different but not in a not in a bad way it was just more of honestly it was more refreshing i mean we went to therapy i had some issues obviously when it first happened um, I don't think, like, my mom may not know to this day, but, you know, I got kicked out of Michigan State my sophomore year. My grades were suffering. This was, like, at the peak of their divorce, and it wasn't so much of that I wanted them to stay together or I felt like what he did was right or and she should get over it and just be married. But it was more so, um, like, I became the parent of two arguing children. And so for me, it was it was really stressful to see a lot of that stuff that was going on. But... You know, I kind of had to shake myself up. I went to therapy with my dad, like I said, and we kind of reconciled um, our differences. I laid it all on the table about how I felt, and he kind of just had to take it and internalize how, and I think that's something that goes a little bit deeper, but he kind of had to internalize the other effects, the after effects of, like, what his actions had done so yes while he cheated on my mother and it was that was within their marriage he had to accept the fact that this was bigger than just them but it was an unhealthy relationship you know that had spread further than 
just the, between him and my mom. But, you know, we had other family members and other people that depended on them and things like that. Um, so for me, after that period and just like kind of talking and being open and honest, it's, it's been refreshing because I don't know many men that will take the time to say, look, I was wrong for this and I want to do better. A lot of people just kind of say, oh, well, men going to cheat and that's just what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And for me, I guess because I've seen such a change in like how he because he never was an ill will person. So we're going to throw that out the window. But I guess the way you can acknowledge your wrongs and move forward, and that's a people thing, not necessarily a man thing. But I think for me, it helped me see that there's hope. You know what I'm saying? That that all people aren't bad. So that that changed my perspective, and it, it didn't hurt me for the worst because I could have easily came out of that situation and said, man, forget this. I'll never get married because if all men are like this, then what is the point? But for me, it was more like, you know, some good people out there, and yes, people do make poor choices rather than mistakes, and they mess up because they're not able to, you know, cope with things that their daily lives are giving them. I mean, and again, not to excuse, like, anything that he was doing, but he was a pretty busy man with a lot of people tugging at him for a lot of things, you know, work-wise and personal-wise. And so um, I just think it kept me well-rounded as a person coming out of it. Going in, you know, I was always a well-rounded kid, but it, it kind of... It shook me up a little bit, um, but I think going out of it, it made me a better person, a little more optimistic to see that people can change. So that's why, and I know you and I have arguments, not arguments, but debates yes. all the time about yes. um, how people are and people just going to be people. And for me, I'm like, well, no, Kari, give this person the benefit of the doubt. And you're like, no, no, no. But I mean, I think it's just two different experiences. Um, I think that people can change. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, they're going to stick to who they are. But I think, it, I don't know. It For me, it's, it's been a good experience. I mean, like, all things that happen to you aren't good, but they can produce good if you allow them to. So. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my mom always said it's not, you know, what you've been through as much as it's how you go through it. Mm-hmm. And then after the fact, what happens. And I can just imagine just as a man, it's so much that this sounds like one of those uh, <laughs> one of those episodes of like I don't even know uh, what it is like one of those like open open talk discussions right, right. Have like one of those BET shows but like like I, I was positioned you know comedians often, often talk about it like you're not supposed to cry you're not supposed yeah, to do this yeah. you're not supposed to do that like so much of these like archetypes these right. these characteristics mm-hmm. that you're given and sold of like how to deal with things and that's my era so I was born in 82 so and, and, I can and, only imagine and, when you were born. Like, yeah, the, the, I was, I was born in 1967. I'm, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. a product of, of, of the riots. You yeah, know. so like, so like, born in 67, yeah. like your dad, like hit, and, and your uncles yeah. and the other men in the community, like. Oh, it was like, it, it was a whole different type of format. You know, men don't cry. You don't express when you're hurt. You don't talk about. You know, you, you're not depressed. You know, just cheer yourself up, get up. You know, and, and do what men do. And, you know, a lot of those stereotypes are what really, you know, you know, I survived and it, it served me well professionally because, you know, I started off in 1987 in the Detroit Police Department, 19 years old. And, you know, 22 years later, you know, I emerged to be the chief of police, the youngest in the department's history at the time, 42 years old. Uh, so, you know, it served me well. You know, I love, you know, the kind of men that we, you know, produced us, but. There's a lot of growth that we need to do as men as well, because some of those things we say they worked, you know, 
But did they really work? Mm-hmm. Because you look at, you know, the absence of fathers and significantly how men interact in the community. Uh, I, I would say it's not it didn't really work that well. And I'm so proud of Kayla for, you know, a number of different reasons. But of all of her success, uh, her her way of thinking has changed so much and matured so much. Uh, and, and this is important for men to understand that your daughter, uh, number one, you know, I don't want to get, get too deep into psychology, but a man's first love is his mother, you know, as a child and a daughter's first love or, the, you know, the model of their relationship is the one with their father. I often say that and I often say that that it just due to the perspective yes. of those relationships mm-hmm. Like the older I get, yeah. and like anytime I talk to like younger guys mm-hmm. about like the woman you choose to date and everything like that, exactly. like don't force the conversation. Don't say like, how are you and your father? <laughs> right. You know, but just be present. But you got to pay attention anytime, to those things. Yeah. Anytime discussions about the father come up. Yeah. You know, because the uncle come up. You know, because Kari, we say it in, in, in a joking way. Oh, she got mm-hmm. daddy issues. But, yeah. you know, we really have to pay more attention to a person's background because yeah. how they were raised. You know how love was displayed to them it goes directly to how they're going to react pretty much as adults and and, and this is important because I, I don't want to miss this point uh and i make it a lot and, and i definitely would not use any names but when my daughter was in college uh, she was dating a young man uh i mean you know he was me as far as his conduct with women and the young man was you know slated to be a top 10 nfl draft choice and you know, for a while, my daughter was just kind of going through all these machinations about, you know, he's mistreating me and this and that. And I started to think the same behavior that he's displaying towards my daughter, I want to kill him for, but I'm doing the same thing. And that shows you the pathology of yeah. how we as men don't really realize what, you know, what we call in church generational curses, but it's really, you know, a, a model behavior. Yeah. So when I got me together and we got our relationship right, you know, he got drafted. He said, hey, you know, I want you to come with me. And, I, man, Kyrie, when she called me and started to tell the story, I'm like, damn it, my girl going to drop out of school and go with this idiot. But she said, Dad, I don't want that for my life uh, because he is not mature enough to give me what I deserve as a woman. Mm-hmm. And to say that at 21 years old, NFL first-round draft pick, sure, you know. 19. 19, Graduated right. Graduated at 21. Right, graduated at 21. Gone. You know, so for her to be able to make that decision – um, it, it really goes directly to uh, us reforming the way we think. And this is why I, 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 I agree with you in one sense, Kari, that people uh, 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 don't change, but you can't change unless you change your thinking. Mm-hmm. And, it, some, you know, we have to reorient how we think and how we process information. And to do the same thing the same way and expect a different result is insanity. And we do mm-hmm. this in our communities, and we wonder why our kids and our grandkids, they date the same people we date. They get the same results mm-hmm. in their relationships. You know, we see so many patterns, and they say, you know, you know, don't trust words, rarely trust actions, but you damn sure can trust patterns. Patterns are going to show you, and they're going to show up uh, in different circumstances. So I had to change the pattern of our family. Mm. And, and when we did that, um, you know, the young man she's dating now, whether they get married or not, uh, I just see a different level of interaction of how he respects her, mm-hmm. how she interacts with him. There are boundaries that, you know, if you cross those, then as much as I love you, I'm willing to walk. 
that was not necessarily the, the, the daughter I dropped off at Michigan State, mm-hmm. but the one that graduated and the one that exists now, uh, it goes directly to her father uh, having a better framework of what to model to her and then how we interact and how we, um, because parenting doesn't stop. You know, and my dad used to always say this, and this would piss me off. But you know, you know, I'm grown. You know, I'm a sergeant, DPD. You know, I'm rising. And my dad would say, "Look, I was 26 years older than you when you was born, and I'll be 26 years older than you when I leave this planet. You're never going to gain a day on me." Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I, so even though you know my daughter is grown, she's an adult. Uh, I've gone from being a parent to a consultant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, know, you know, she's going to make the decisions that she makes. But I trust that we go through a process uh, to where when she makes a decision, she's contemplated the consequences, good, bad or indifferent. And I trust her to make those decisions. And uh, I'm very you know, happy at the relationship that we have. Yeah. And ju- just for like a bit of clarity, like we were always close and able to talk to each other and things like that. But there was that period where our family dynamic did shift and I feel like priorities were just in a different spot. I was in school, you know, he was working through his issues with my mom and vice versa. So it wasn't, it was like the decisions that I was making. I kind of did those things based off of like what I saw because I didn't, I no longer saw a healthy relationship between my parents, but I saw something that was completely changing and it kind of made me, you know, rethink some things and like, okay, well, maybe this is what you settle for because, you know, and, and not to say, because my mom didn't even, she wasn't with it at all. Like my, nah. my mom did, you know, <laughs> stay on her ground and, you know, she, she got on, went about her way and that, you know, that was that. But um, I she, think She that, wasn't about that life at all. Yeah, yeah she, no. she wasn't. But I think no, that no, like, no. it was some things that I was like, well, you know, my dad's still a good person, so maybe this guy's still a good person. I just have some work to do. But then once he acknowledged, for me, once he acknowledged, hey, that, look, I'm a good person, but I want you to take the good things out of my personality and not necessarily all the bad things that I've done to your mom, then it was like, oh, you can separate these things. And there is such a thing as you being a good person, but you also have to treat me right as well. I can't stay in hopes of you transitioning that I'm a good person into I'm a good boyfriend because it doesn't necessarily mix because this person that I was dating I mean the very chivalrous you know always opening doors he was from Georgia down south or whatever so these things were like kind of things that he was raised to do but he wasn't necessarily a good person in a relationship so it was like I was settling for things that I I had the lines crossed and I had things mixed up and then after I got out of that it was certain things I was able to consult my dad on just being a young woman who had been disrespected before. And I'm like, yo, you know, I know you might not see it that way, but let me give this to you from a woman's perspective. Like just with me being a young woman and then seeing what my mom went through, this is probably how she feels or the person you're currently dating. This is probably how they feel. So maybe you shouldn't do it this way, but try doing it this way. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, Sometimes I, I, I generalize. I have a marketing firm, so I have to generalize to <laughs> right. audiences. Right. So I, I have to look at human behavior. Yes. <clears throat> but even in examining my own behavior, I don't know if people can change as much as, like, I empathize with a lot of people for, like, you have to know that behavior. Like, like right now, uh, this was one of the best years in business I've ever had. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been great. 
but it comes at the opportunity cost of like the way that I would work out, right? Uh, stay on my workout grind. It's like, and now I know other habits. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I work so hard, you know, I'm gonna eat what I feel like eating, right? So, and then the consequence is, you know, you're gonna gain 35 pounds, yes. And now I gotta work to get the 35 pounds back <laughs> off, exactly. And I know the conditioning that happens, but it's like, I, I the, 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 the eagerness is yeah. I was eating spinach wraps. <laughs> right. still want to get a hot and ready was still there still you know there, what I'm yeah. saying but you have to recognize it and say oh this is and see, that's this a, is the convenience that's a great point. of of wanting the hot mm-hmm. and ready but I know I need to just go on and take the time and meal yeah. prep and make the spinach wrap readily available because, because even though this mm-hmm. uh, hot and ready is quote unquote hot and ready mm-hmm. this is also a step towards the type 2 diabetes yeah, absolutely. that I don't want <laughs> 15 years from now you know, you know but that's but, one thing that has really benefited me as a pastor and as a counselor and as a life coach for people mm-hmm. is that intrinsically you are who you are yes and you like what you like you have mm-hmm. proclivities that you tend to lean towards Mm-hmm. But there has to come to a point where you spiritually mature to understand that even though I like that, that may not be the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. So that I think that's the hardest thing for people to do is control their appetites, whether it's sexual, uh, whether it's food, whether it's you know drugs, gambling, liquor, drugs. It's controlling um, appetites. Or, or spending, spending, spending money. Spending, oh, all of these. Money. Uh, eating, you know, eating yeah. disorders. All yeah. of these things fall into places where you are who you are. You like what you like. But what I found out, though, Kari, is that the more honest I am with myself and I acknowledge what I like, I know what I like, I can control behaviors better because I don't play that game of, you know, you ain't going to send me a WID text at 2 in the morning because my phone is going to be on Do Not Disturb. So I'm not even going to be tempted by that because women is my thing. I like women. I love no, pretty let, women. Wait, let's 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 give some context because <laughs> I have I have some older listeners. Yes. WYD. What you doing? Would be uh would be a uh yeah. What you doing? That bat signal like a guy, from the booty call. Yeah, that's a the, guy. That, uh, that's even still a little <laughs> bottom. A guy getting fresh at the speakeasy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you know, in that when you when you start to be honest with yourself and acknowledge, yeah. I can do this, uh, but then I, I, I'm mature enough to now start to th- rethink, if I do this, then what are the consequences? And every action has a consequence. And so the change doesn't necessarily come in what you like and who you are, but you start to appreciate that my relationship with my daughter and how she views me is more important for me, you know, satisfying my physical need at 2 a.m. in the morning. So when, when your priorities mm-hmm. change, and you start to uh, look at things from a from a different perspective, then that's when you make better decisions. Because I started off saying I didn't make mistakes; I made poor choices, mm-hmm. and that's what a lot of people find themselves mm-hmm. prey to is making poor choices mm-hmm. because they just don't have the discipline to control their appetites, whatever that appetite yeah, is. Whatever. Or it's, it's just yeah. about what you place value on. Yeah. I mean, like you you at this point in time in your life have chosen to. Not necessarily take value away, but just shift it from one area to another. So whereas, you know, this may have been more important hiding these affairs mm-hmm. from, you know, my wife and child and whatever. Now it has shifted towards, you know, I put more value in the relationship that I have with my child and whoever I choose to be with from this point forward to where now that's more important. So right. it's not that your likes change, but the value proposition that you put on different categories that may pop up or arise in your life actually shift yeah and so and that's a part of growing and that's a life cycle like you know when and that's supposed to change you know i i pity the i do pity the 50 year old who is still having the same relationship problems as he does in his 20s because at some point in time 
your value should change. You don't you have different problems when you're a 50 year old man versus you being, you know, young and fresh in your teens. Mm -hmm. And all you got to worry about is girls and cars. You know, it's different. That's something I expect from that type of man. But to be having those same issues, like who wants to live that kind of life? And I know, like, one of the conversations, you know, you've had with our church and, like, just in your sermons and stuff like that is the cost of being a cheater or the cost of being addicted to Mm -hmm. certain things. Like, that will change your mind because if you're a frugal person, you're thinking, like, wait a minute now. It's just cheaper. And it may be more lucrative for me to, you know, buy the things that I like in a woman Mm -hmm. for my woman and, you know, upgrade her, bring her to a different level than to lust after, pay for hotel rooms, buy dinner, hide receipts. It's just... I think... I think... um, a couple of different layers on to what you were saying. Like sometimes it's the value, but also it's, you know, um, being a person that is smart can, can be even a tougher challenge when it comes to dealing with any form of addiction. Man. I got an uncle that struggled with, um, different forms of drug addiction mm-hmm. and he's one of the most brilliant people yeah. I know, but to look at him in his condition now, you'd be like, mm. yeah. but then like, you know, it's like, I can still take knowledge from this person, but it's it because you, it's so easy, especially in America, right? As where where this this nation is is built on you know inequities and 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 fallacies mm-hmm. and um, and just things that just don't make sense. Yeah, it's so easy to justify, like you know, I mean. Well, I mean, I, I'll get some more money, yeah. even though you know mm-hmm. you don't get another paycheck till after the New Year starts. Right. It's so easy to to justify things, especially when you have more thoughts in your mm-hmm. head. So, like dealing with some of these challenges, that's where I believe faith plays a role. That plays that's a where major role. Um, that's where having healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Like my mom passed this year, and in my mom's passing, um, it the 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 most unique thing about it is finding out the roles that she played in so many people's lives right. now as like it's it's unique mm-hmm. but like like relationships um those bonds right and like when it comes to you know a lot of the uh a lot of sex i know for me mm-hmm. it's more so the whole idea i remember i was even downstairs saying this like i don't know a couple of weeks ago right a lot of it is just like could i yeah, yeah it wasn't even built on like me really wanting to do it it was just like i wonder if i could if you can you right, know what i'm saying right, so yeah. like it's the the imagination of that mm-hmm. it's could i and not even knowing that like e- i mean even you know and then trying different ways of like okay i know she's gonna want more because my presence of mind is in the physical act but her presence of mind ain't even close to this physical act exactly but i'm exploiting mm-hmm. the idea of this as she's positioning this yeah you know like so it, it's such a you know right now with so many men you know, being looked at for sexual harassment, mm-hmm. sexual assault, rape, yeah. uh, you know, like it's so pervasive in our culture. It, I, I'm looking at what's happening in the news. Like, yeah, it, I, I, but I don't you know, know what, if you can like I'm thinking to myself like, damn, they're like, you know, if they pull up the Congress files, you know, Congress going to have nothing <laughs> but women Congress people and they better not have a man that works in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know what, though, you know, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, Curry, but we cannot take the easy way out on a tough okay. conversation. Because um, of all the things that are going on, of all the allegations that come out against people, uh, our most recent president, President Barack uh, Obama, uh, you have not heard one scintilla of Mm -hmm. anybody alleging he's done anything. So 
you know, I, I think the fear is, is that in this misogynistic, objectified um, culture that we live in, mm-hmm. uh, men are being called to task for what we have, you know, made abnormal to be normal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so men should be afraid, but it should not be afraid to the extent to where I'm afraid to be caught. But it should make us reexamine our culture and why do we objectify our women? And again, my relationship with my daughter has been the greatest maturing factor uh, for me personally. Not that I, I you know, I, like I said, I, I, I love women. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I desire to be married again uh, one day, but I, I, I'm ready to do it in a proper perspective. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think that with all that is going on for me, I think I'm five years ahead of the curve because of my experience and what I've been through, some of the counseling I've had. Uh, some of the self-recognition I've had to make that as I see these things emerge now, uh, I can comfortably talk about these things uh, from my lens as to, you know, how I didn't treat my wife with the value that I should have. For whatever reason that was, we lost a child. Um, I had some past traumas. Uh, I dealt with PTSD and depression. Very, very, you know, horrific things to deal with. But the bottom line is when I didn't deal with me and address my issues, uh, I can't use that as an excuse to continue to objectify someone else else or utilize women as my drug. Yes. Uh, You know, some people is is cocaine. Some people is alcohol. Gambling. Gambling. Some people it's it's it's, you know, multiple relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whatever that thing is that you haven't addressed, you have not been honest with yourself. It's going to manifest. But it's easy to do in this culture. Because we have become so hypersexualized on everything. I agree. You know, and, you know, we don't even know our history of Clara uh, 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 Bartman and how she was objectified to the extent mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a voluptuous black woman was like a circus act. Mm-hmm. Uh, her body parts were kept in France up until 1985, mm-hmm. uh, which just sets a whole different uh, culture of how our black women are viewed. Man, you go on Instagram any day of the week. It's I mean, you ain't got to go to a strip club. Mm-hmm. You know, just go through your news feed, and these mm-hmm. young ladies, unfortunately, I've, I've slid in a DM a oh day or two. Oh my goodness! You know, and, and you know, as, as as visually pleasing and appetizing as it may be, we're doing a great deal of damage to uh, our, our our culture, our relationships, the value we place on relationships. I'm not approved by any means. You know. Um, and I don't even say these things from a religious perspective, but it's more so like a, a cultural perspective. It's a cultural perspective. Yeah, I, I do think that it's. I was kind of having this conversation with my homeboy mm-hmm. the other day. So like, um, as he was just like, um, as he was just saying like where things lie and different things like some of it, I'm, I'm not justifying, but mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, the the. You know, and your ex-wife was a whole lot like my mom. Yeah, in a lot yeah. of ways, just oh, very yeah. graceful, yes. very uh, private, ladylike, very, yeah. um, very respectful, yes. very uh, just a presence of mind with mm-hmm. everyone that she met, um, and, and um, some of her time that she spent working in Detroit City Council. Like I said, right. I was like one of the one of the best things about City Council for years mm-hmm. was like you would interact with her as the first face that you saw some of the right. most chaotic yeah. stuff yeah. may have been happening in the meeting room mm-hmm. you know it, it, it could never be blocked that like if you interacted with her it was like oh man right this right. is a, a great place to be exactly you know so mm-hmm. like um 
And, and we're losing that though, Kari. I, but that that <laughs> level of 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 uh, of like what a woman seeks in a man mm-hmm. for today, yeah. just due to the perspectives of like our grandmothers and our great grandmothers, mm-hmm. and even like people like my mother, like. Things have changed so much as I believe black women, especially in our community, have more access to like what American forms of success of wealth are. Mm -hmm. It's repositioned the role of like what role does a man play in the life of a woman? As a lot of Mm -hmm. like I know what it was like in my 20s, Mm -hmm. being in your 20s right now in the 2000s, if you're a young black man, it's going to be tough. Almost to the point where it's pressure put on you. Well, it's pressure that I felt that was put on me. Right. To get to a certain place by the time I'm 30, yeah. that it, you know it wasn't no finish line, but no. in my mind, exactly. And I know you probably run into it with oh, young guys on the force, right? Young guys you interact with, where yeah. it's like, yo, man, I gotta, and I gotta, and, and, I, and, I, gotta, do, yeah. and I gotta, and it's like, hey, man, you ain't gotta do nothing. <laughs> right, you gotta down. get right. your mind right. Exactly. <laughs> Focus on what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and stop putting these. Like these undo, artificial deadlines on us, and, yeah, and, artificial and, deadlines and, and pressure. But like, yeah. how does a woman even judge? And this may be a Kayla question. Like in, in today's culture, like how do you even make a make a judgment call of what a man's supposed to bring to the table when for so long all a man really had to do was be a top earner? And yeah. I would argue that's really a lot of the pressure on white men today. Yeah, as like I have a lot of white homies. Mm-hmm. And like their dads will like even make jokes towards right. them, like mm-hmm. you know your mom never had to work, and I know that gets under their skin. Yeah, it does. It does. I know that gets under their mm-hmm. skin because a comment like that means that basically mm-hmm. I knew how to take care of my right. family, but you, and you don't. don't. Yep, that's you know what I'm saying. That's the underlying message that we have given to men, and, and I think because uh, I want Kayla to comment on this definitely, but I, I really believe that uh, we have societally and i i don't want to you know go complete black nationalist all you oh man go but ahead. but yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. is uh, we have leader. we have devalued the black man on so many levels mm-hmm. uh in the history of this country and you know even to the extent to where if you look at all the comedy you see on instagram it's a black man with a wig on acting like a woman and I, and this is not a comment on sexuality this is a comment on the emasculation of the black man and how he's viewed to his queens. And you have the, the the largest growth industry for entrepreneurs in the United States of America is black women. The most educated persons in this country now are black women. You look at what happened in Alabama with Roy Moore when uh, the election came up in, yeah. uh, in a completely red state. Yeah. That's very, very behind socially. And black women were the ones black women are the ones that put him over or put Doug Jones into mm-hmm. uh, Washington, D.C. in the United States Senate. Uh, I am so proud of our black women and how they have had to shoulder so I many mean, things. Even, even the Atlanta mayoral. Oh, election. yeah. Yes. Yes. So the same the same thing. The same same black, dynamics. That was black women. Black women when, made when that I tell happen. people that mm-hmm. my audience, I'm targeting black women. Yes. Because I know that's a yeah. growing buying populace. But what we have to do is somehow engage our black women in understanding the challenges of a black man to the extent to where she allows him to maintain his dignity as a man. And not look down on him because you have a, a certain level of educational achievement. You have a certain access to capital because some of that is very contrived because if it's contrived to the extent to where the, the man is emaciated in front of his woman, then it, it further drives us. So you look at the disproportionate number of black and brown men that are incarcerated in this country uh, where 18 percent of the population, but 40 to 45 percent of the jail population, which is close to 2 million, which is the largest 
in the world for yeah, industrialized it's, it's nations. Bigger than, it's bigger than certain nations. Uh, certain nations, absolutely, that are, that are incarcerated. Up. Or furthermore, people living with felonies. Yes, yes. And, and, and Can't vote, can't live in public housing, can't get grants for school because all of those things prohibit, which mm-hmm. disproportionately black men, are the, black men are the ones that are, yeah. are victims societally. I don't mean they're victims mm-hmm. as if they didn't make choices to sell the dope. Yes. But the, the, the access to what they had to make a living, to take care of their family, to try and come up a little bit, all of those things are cut off by the choices that they made. And unfortunately, uh, white men are not, and this is where white privilege is very real. Yeah. This is not racism, but there's a, there, there is yeah. a construct of right white privilege that the black man has to overcome all of those things. Yeah, I tell, I tell all my educated black friends mm-hmm. when I when I give some of those statistics, yes. I say all you have to do because it's public. Mm-hmm. Sit in the back of Frank Murphy Hall of Justice for one day yeah. and see guilty plea mm-hmm. after guilty, guilty plea, plea mm-hmm. after guilty plea of some guy that looked like your cousin yep. that stand up for something stupid mm-hmm. that just and he you know he's nineteen he don't even know by accepting that guilty plea for a felony right. Right. What he's just accepted exactly. and how that's changed the whole yeah. course of, of his the rest life. of his yeah. life, his his life, his children's life. Because a lot of these kids, they yeah. they got they have kids. Yeah. Then they get records with friend of the court because the, these arrearages keep stacking up. Then they become criminal. Yeah. So it, 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 you know, once you get in the system for a black man, it's difficult under the current social construct anywhere. to maneuver out of it. Yeah. And you know, we we end up blaming victims for their victimization. And, and it's just not fair. But, Kayla, I, I didn't mean to cut you off because I know. I do uh, want her to yeah. comment on this. Okay. And then I want to yeah. come back to you because just with your experience as an officer, yeah. you have a take on this. But what's your take on what your dad just said? Because as a man, we vibing. And, and this is like barbershop. Like, yeah. Right. What's the woman's take on this perspective? I mean, but this is me because, you know, I'm queen optimism. Um, and just for me being like a social science major in general, I learned in my sex and gender classes that most relationships, marriages that are platonic are the ones that last longer because that whether the what platonic, what, what I mean by that is like the gender roles are neutral. And for me, just having that bit of education helped shape me because I'm not necessarily expecting a man to bring all the money in, but however you can enhance, I think a relationship is more about enhancing and filling the the gaps that the other person has. So I don't really, if I'm, let's say I am the breadwinner. If I'm bringing in bulk of the money, I'm not going to make you feel bad about that, but I'm going to empower you in the things that you do help me with. So if you are um, in your entrepreneur, entrepreneurial phase, you are, you know, going on this route, on that route, maybe I'll help with the research of the thing and you help me with this or vice versa. But I think there's always a way around it. And because I know that those relationships tend to, they're more like friendships. They tend to last longer just because you're not having these unrealistic expectations of a person because they're a person just like you, regardless of the gender and the what is or is not in between that person's legs. I guess that's just like my thought process. And I think if more women thought that, you know, an appendage doesn't automatically make a guy have more money, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or if they're not necessarily dating a guy for their money in the first place and more so dating them for. And I won't say potential because that can get risky as well. You have a lot of guys that will 
get content in that potential stage and be like, oh, well, she think I got potential, so I'm cool where I'm at. You got, you know what I'm saying? Like, there, you, yeah, you have to recognize, and he has to recognize that there's a, I wouldn't say you put a timeline on yourself, and maybe because I put timelines on myself and I shouldn't do that, I don't know. But I think you have to be, and you have to be a realist about things. I think you have to know your place. You have to know where you're going and do what you're going to do regardless. And if somebody decides to join you in that journey and be your companion in that journey, then they have to be willing to take on whatever you have going on and vice versa. I think it takes humility on both sides of the fence. I don't think that the breadwinner automatically allows you to disrespect a person. I don't think that it allows you to um demand certain things from a person because you agree to that relationship just like they did um a lot of these women will get mad like oh he ain't crap he's sitting on the couch blah blah blah. yeah but i mean he was sitting on the couch when you met him so what (laughs) is you know i'm saying what is your real issue is is it because he wasn't your science project and you couldn't turn him into what you thought you would or is it because this was just something that you didn't have control over and i think that's most of the issue is um, most people want to be successful is because the money relates to control and control relates to you, you know, being able to control everything around you when in reality, we don't control none of this stuff. I mean, there's a certain element that, you know, I like to think God allows you to control certain things at certain amount of times and what he thinks you can handle. But I don't think that, um, it allows you to control a person. I think that there are a lot of people who don't have a lot that are in relationships that are very happy and that's because they have that middle ground where you make up the gaps that I have and I make up the gaps that you have. Like in my particular relationship at this moment, I can be kind of a control freak or, and not in the sense of I'm controlling that person, but I like to have control of my situation. And for him, he's just like, yo, like if you can't control it, like don't let it ruin your whole day or ma- make you upset or be mad because you can't get this done at this certain amount of time. Because obviously that was supposed to happen. To me, that's filling a void because that's the gap of my attitude that I, I haven't yet grasped where he has a good grasp on his emotions in that sense of like, look, stuff happens. It's OK. You know what I'm saying? So I think while um you're not necessarily like a dude cannot be bringing financially all this money to the table. There's a sense of calm and relief that he may bring or vice versa. A woman may do that for a man. I think it just depends. And I don't think we have, we should do the whole labeling thing. And that's why, because I think people generically are the same in how they operate and how they feel. And I think they honestly just want to be with people that understand them. And so I think if you sit there and you place all the value on who's the breadwinner, that's that's dangerous territory. <laughs> OK, so with, when you talk about that mm-hmm. <clears throat> with that, that's a definitely uh, that's definitely a progressive perspective. Mm-hmm. But how many uh, women in your social circle, family, friends mm-hmm. have that type of perspective towards relationships? In mm-hmm. there? I would say, to be honest, it's not a lot. Um, like I, I'd say my mother's really like, you know, she's cool with certain stuff cause she did, but she's the same way. She feels like, you know, I've been there and not necessarily to be provided for is the best thing. Cause for her, and, um, this is an example after her and my father got a divorce, divorce isn't something that people plan on necessarily happening, but then she had to learn how to, because my dad took care of us, you know, my whole life for sure, more than half of hers. 
And so she had to learn how to set up a bank account all over again. She had to learn how to set up all these bills in her name and do this, doing that. So that was the whole starting over period. So I think for somebody who's been there and been married before, she's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, do you. And if a person is or isn't, that's for you to decide. But it's not something that has to be in this vein because your dad and I so-called did it right. And it still didn't work. You know what I'm saying? It still didn't work. So we can't, I don't think we can put these like Jay-Z and Beyonce labels on other people's relationships. I do have some friends. Yeah, we can. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that's healthy because people are different. And I think unless somebody knows Beyonce or Jay-Z personally and they've seen them interact personally and they know Beyonce's mood to a T outside of her singing single ladies, you get what I'm saying? You don't really know her. You know what she allows us to see. And so I think that their relationship bond, we can't, we can't qualify that because we don't know these people. We just know what they portray to us and not saying their relationship is any less strong outside of the public eye. They got to be, you know, in some good position. But for us to try and compare because you put all your business on Instagram, but Beyonce don't, you know, that that's just it's two totally different things. I do have friends that, you know, like one that's recently engaged and her fiance is in the same field as her and they both make a lot of money. That's them. That's something that she's comfortable with. But her and I grew up very different. Um, not that she didn't have, in, you know, any money. She had a great, you know, father figure. Um, her, both her parents were hardworking people. But I think she puts a premium on that kind of stuff. I mm-hmm. think that for her getting gifts for people and making people, buying things for people. And, I mean, every time she comes in town, it can, it's like, um, oh, round of drinks on me. Everything got to be on me so she can show you how successful I've become and it's not it's not yeah and but it's not it's not even in an arrogant way she does that because that's what she deems is important it's not because she has any ill will she genuinely wants to give to people Mm -hmm. but she doesn't understand that that for me is not that that's not why I'm your friend you know what I'm saying it's Mm -hmm. like that's not why we're we love each other that's not why we sit here and talk on the phone for hours and things like that because i have friends that also can't do anything for me but we're closest you know like we're we're the closest friends you can ever think of and i'm not expecting anything in return so i think the friendship thing transfers just like into relationships i don't think you should expect um something especially expecting something you can't give to a person i think that's another thing everybody on instagram is always like you know oh i need a man with six figures he got to be tall dark and handsome um, he got to have nice straight teeth. And it's like, okay, but you make faux figures. You short and stubby. And your <laughs> teeth crooked. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what you're bringing to the table that's matching what you're trying to attract. Do you get what I'm saying? Like some people get upset because they're not in these fantastic relationships with these handsome men and all this other stuff. But it's like you don't even carry yourself to the point that you would attract that type of person to the table so it's almost one of those things where my dad was saying you kind of have to change not that you change yourself as a person but you have to change your thinking you have to change how you carry yourself um to attract something that you feel like will be complimentary towards you and you tend to attract who you are Mm -hmm. and that's the thing that you know i think people fail to realize there's something that you said real important kayla as far as relationships go and I, i learned this the hard way i thought i was doing a service to my family and to my ex wife by you know taking care of all the bills and, you know, writing all the checks and, you know, baby, you ain't got to worry about nothing. But that was really about me. That wasn't about her, Um, especially in the field that I was in. You know, every day 
you strap up and go out as a cop. There ain't no guarantee you coming home. And I didn't help prepare my mate, you know, for life without me and vice versa. And if you truly respect somebody, you're not intimidated by them paying the bills or this is in your name and that's in my name. And ironically, I grew up in a different construct. My father was a construction worker, but he had his first heart attack at 29 years old. Couldn't work anymore at that level. And my mother became the, the breadwinner. She had to get a driver's license and work. So I had role models to where I came home. My dad cooked and my mom went to work. My dad was the guy that came to the PTA meeting and, you know, was the chaperone on the trips. Mm-hmm. So those traditional roles were wiped out. And they the, did and, what was necessary to make the family work. Yeah, and And there was no, even like when I came along, there was no discrepancy of who was the man in that household mm-hmm. regardless of her working and going to Ameritech and putting up phone lines and stuff like that my granddad couldn't work he cooked and he he still cooked to the point when you know I was growing up he would cook more and my grandmother would do little stuff around the house or she you know she could run there and she would but that was the dynamic but and maybe that's probably another reason I never thought about that why the way I think is shaped but there still wasn't a question because there were certain things that, and that's what women have to do better. You can be as independent as you are. You can make as much money as you want to, but you still have to allow a man to feel like a man. So if it's, dang, I can't open this jar. Can you help me? I really might be able to open the jar. I'm, I might got the juice like that to where I can open the jar. But at the, I'm going to just, hey, babe, can you open this jar? Because I'm trying, I'm handling this over there and I really, really need your help. And it's, it's simple stuff like that, that it's not necessarily about, again, how much money you're bringing in. But the fact that because most people just want companionship because they need to feel needed. Um, that's sometimes the problems with women, you know, especially after they're in their mother's phase and they have a kid and they go off to college and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do because I'm so used to cooking, doing this, doing that. They just feel needed. So there's like different ways. And I think like as you matriculate through life, you have to like figure out ways to fill those gaps with your partner whether you have children or not or you know or your children have gotten old enough to go to school and now you're like now what do we do your marriage can't fall apart because your kids gone you know what i'm saying so now you have to figure out something new everything is like a continuous cycle and so i think the problem kind of comes when people get content in their situations and what's going on and you just say okay well this is it forever like no you have to change everything up life is life and things change and you have to be able to adapt to those changes and, and that means coming out of those traditional roles, um, because I think, um, it, well, I, I'll put it this way. The healthiest relationships are not the ones where you need each other, but the healthiest relationship is the one where I don't need you, but I choose to be here. And that's when a relationship is healthy. Uh, there is a, a book called The Seven Habits of Effective highly Couples, effective of highly effective couples. Mm-hmm. It's based off of that theory. But one of them is the willingness to divorce. Now, on the surface, that sounds bad. But what it means is, is that I'm here because I choose to, not because you pay my bills, not because of this or that, because I need you. But I'm here because I choose to. That's the most dynamic love you can experience between two people is when you're there because you choose to be Mm -hmm. not. Well, dang, if I leave him, who's going to pay my bills or because then that's when the controlling aspect comes, because a lot of men that provide it's not necessarily that they're the great providers they're controllers mm-hmm. and if i pay all the bills if the house is in my name uh you know i make the most money 
then I have a level of control over you. And that's just not a healthy relationship. Um, you know, I, I don't know the dynamics of Beyonce and Jay-Z, mm -hmm. but I guarantee you if they both walk from each other, neither one of them going to starve. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that's that's what I think that's the dynamism of their relationship. They choose to be in it because individually in their own right, they both are their own persons. And we don't do that. I think a lot in the black community is 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 is, is push each other to be the best that we can be in our fields. And particularly, I want to speak to my sisters that. Please don't buy into the stereotypes that they put out about black men. We want to achieve. We want to be good fathers. We want to be providers. Uh, but there's nothing greater than a black woman telling a black man, I believe in you. Mm -hmm. Out of everything that can happen. And I will say this about my, 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 my former wife. Uh, I had some of the lowest periods in my life where she said, I believe in you. And I believe that you can do anything that you set your mind to. When I met her, I didn't have a college degree. She did. Uh, I was trying to work my way up through the police department and and I was going to school at the same time. And that woman always told me that I could do whatever I chose to do. I got you. I, I'll take care of Kayla. Go ahead. Do your homework. And, you know, next thing you know, I got a master's degree mm -hmm. and I'm running that joint. But I didn't honor that. And that's the important thing. When somebody empowers you to rise, you don't forget about the person that made the way for you. And, you know, my ex-wife, she she did that. When we got divorced, my, my attorney thought I lost my mind, Kari. I said, give her what she wants. And she's like, I've never heard a man come into me and say that. I said, because she earned what she what she what she gets. She's vested like me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to fight her on anything mm -hmm. because I wouldn't be the man I was. I would not have had the opportunity to be chief of police for all the days that she sacrificed her career she could have ran for city council she could have been you know a number of those things but she was content to push me to be my best and i didn't honor that so i will i'll definitely tell folks uh, when somebody invests in you don't forget who invested in you you know don't don't run away from that blessing and, and um and a lot of good knowledge i'm just i'm sitting here listening generally i'm always talking about something but uh, a lot of good knowledge a lot of good perspectives as i'm Re-examining relationships I've been in, uh, relationships I've witnessed, family, friends, and yeah. everything. Um, <clears throat> I think it's it's very um, it's very telling to have this discussion so early yeah. uh, early on for people right. to listen, and then also the 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 father daughter daughter father connection in this conversation yeah. because it is so intergenerational. So some of the things that I've seen now. Um, that I just kind of just out of, uh, you know, just just didn't see things the same way mm -hmm. from before. Like, you know, you grow, you go through things. But a lot of what you're saying uh, from both perspectives yeah. seems to be that there is uh, here's another term I love to use. A, a lot of my <laughs> funders that use this. But basically, it's 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 soul food. That's, yeah, that's the yeah. term I call it. But intrinsic value. Yes. It's an intrinsic value. Mm -hmm in a connection you can have with companionship as like uh, with, with the passing of my mom, just looking at my father now, you know, some, some of these things are like that companionship as yeah. I, as I hear, yeah. as I hear that, mm -hmm. when I hear oh, you yes. say that, like, yeah. you know, the right woman by your side that does believe in that spirit yes. to keep going. As I think about some of the great relationships I've had and my mentors right. along the way. Mm -hmm. And it's, 
like it, it shocks me to this day. Some of the people I've interacted with yeah. that have that have you know said a couple words in my ear and uh, kept me going. Yes, sir. You know, and, and I'm happy that I've ha- I have that balance. But it it we're social creatures. Yeah, we, we are. like interacting mm-hmm. with other people. Yeah. We like to be liked. We yes. like being around people that have love for us. But in our in our community, mm-hmm. because we're dealing with so much trauma. Yes, that's what I would say. Just mm-hmm. from you know we can say from enslavement. Oh, you know, in the Middle Passage, on up to you know uh, like uh, as uh, the the beauty of the holiday season, yeah. but also the stress that comes with the holiday season for so many people yes, in my community mm-hmm. of like what it is like, you know, the scarcity mm-hmm. of so uh, of how we see life, like a, like a roller coaster of like, um, you know, when I talk to some of my people and when they say, I want to do this and I want to do yeah. that and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I'm like, yo, I'm definitely one of those people. I've, I've worked my 2018 calendar and I want to do, Way more than I know I'm probably going to do. Right. But the process and, and, and executing that and bringing some of these things to fruition and having a presence of mind actually having joy in the process as opposed to trying to find joy in just the result that I believe will be interpreted from other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, it's been very telling for me. And I think that it's very telling throughout our whole community. And I think sometimes relationships can be that because as much as it's me thinking I want that companion, it's Mm -hmm. me being defined as like, what me, I'm a single woman. What does that mean? Do I have value? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a woman. Why am I single? Exactly. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a man and I'm not having sex this weekend. What, right. what, what does that mean? I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm a, I'm a man. I'm not getting it in Friday and Saturday. Right. Like, am right. I, am I still a man? Like, am I still defined as a man? Like how much of it is really true value that we find? Yeah. Is it really intrinsic? Can we grow? And then you get something that's rich. Mm-hmm. And it almost may be yeah. too rich where you got to step away and walk back like, what's that, man? I what just happened this, here? <laughs> I didn't even know that this was real. Like, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's these kids we always hang out with, my friend Sterling's uh, my friend Sterling's kids. But they're so used to hiding readies. And one time we took them to Pizza Popolis because, like, one of these uh, one of these other people I know was like, we want to get these kids some real some pizza. Some real pizza, yeah. And then they tried Pizza Popolis like, ugh, this is nasty because <laughs> they've been so conditioned to hiding readies right. that pizza to them – it is is it, that's exactly what it, exposure is everything though, and I'm so glad you brought that up. And that's one thing, of many that I love about my late parents is that I never forget when I was younger. We grew up in Conant Gardens, uh, Cranes Wood area, Seven Mile Ryan Road. Wow! And my dad would put me and my younger brother in the cars, two of us, and my mom, and he would drive us downtown, and then he would take Jefferson all the way until it turned to Lakeshore Boulevard, and he would always remind me of my brother that you may start off in Conant Gardens, Cranes Woods, but there's nothing that precludes you from living in these million dollar mansions. There's nothing that's beyond you because he showed us something different. When I was think seven or eight years old, he took me and my brother to this restaurant called Joanne's and he bought us four lobsters. And the, 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 the waitress was like, sir, you know, we have a kitty menu um, you know, you, you, know, you're, you, you know, I don't want you to waste your money on this lobster. And my dad, you know, who had a high school education, was so forward thinking. He said, "Well, my sons will, you know, probably be in the White House one day, and the the crowds that I want them to be in, I want them to know which forks to use, how to crack a lobster tail, 
And, you know, the lady didn't conceptually get what he was saying. But I never forget my first visit to the White House in 1995 uh, mm. when William Jefferson Clinton was the president. Mm. And I have my invitation framed on my wall. Uh, the number of times I've been in the Oval Office, I have like five pictures with President Obama, pictures with uh, President Clinton. I met Jimmy Carter, um, Joe Biden, uh, Al Gore. My dad spoke that into existence because he prepared us for that. And we have to show our, our, our young people uh, something outside these concrete jungles that we live in. We didn't have a lot growing up. Uh, my house was so small, you know, we had to go outside to, to, to split a large pizza. You know, I mean, you know, we, we, did, we didn't grow up with, with a lot. But, oh, I know the Coney Garden. Oh, my God. But you my mom and dad, the way. And you 67. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, you grew up around one of the better. Just the community. They, they didn't make it, but this yeah. is classic uh, mm-hmm. drug so, but some of the best basketball players. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, the house we Detroit lived in. ever seen. Spencer Haywood, right there. Spencer Haywood lived behind us uh, yeah, on yeah. Sunset. We lived on Dean Spencer Haywood. Yeah, I think was drugs, drugs killed. Yeah, that. Oh like, my goodness. Those, those, the the battle that, those mm-hmm. Persian teams. Yeah, that yeah. Era, like that early, late seventies, early eighties. Yes, I mean those, they were amazing. Amazing, <laughs> you know. But the thing is, my my dad exposed us to something different. And we, we owe that to our young brothers and sisters is to expose them, not to despise where they come from, but also show them there's a different side of the world because you, you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, among the things I tried to pass on to my daughter as well, exposing her. I mean, one of the first pictures I have of her when she was born, uh, Mayor Dennis, Mayor Dennis Archer. Archer and Judge <laughs> Trudy Archer holding mm-hmm. uh, my, my baby mm-hmm. in their living room, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know those things they they mean something um because you know when when the dope dealer come up to her to offer her something you know what 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 have you not been exposed to to where i would sell my soul uh for something that's not really a reality and risk my life mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of it goes to exposure Kyrie. you know what do we expose our folks to and then I, i'm glad you pointed out trauma uh because in the black community, trauma is exacerbated uh, in a way that uh, people may never understand. Oh man! Because you try to explain it to you know to the majority population, mm-hmm. you know, for a 19 a, a year old black man driving a car, and he sees red and blue lights in his rearview mirror, there's some trauma going on. Even to the extent to where I don't even know if I'm going to live through this interaction. Yes. White people don't understand that because that's no. not their experience. So until we can have people that understand our experience and empathize uh, with us, it's going to be difficult for the majority population to understand uh, exactly what our mentality is. And that's why it's important for our, our black police officers to be black. And I tell people I'm a cop uh, that happened to be black, not a black man that happened to be a cop. I'm acutely aware of what Coleman Young did to make the way for us. Buddy battle, you know, those cats from back in the day that, um, you know, really, you know, I would not have been chief of police if it wasn't for a Coleman. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine, uh, uh, Tondi Gallant, uh, her dad, Skip, uh, was a, a, a famed homicide detective with Gil Hill. They never ascended to be chief of police, but mm-hmm. the hell they went through to make a way for me to be a chief at 42 years old. I honor those men. Every time I see a, 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 a one of uh, the the black police officers that you know didn't make it to the level I did. I thank those cats 
because they stood in roll calls where uh, the blacks were on one side of the room and the whites were on the other. Uh, please excuse the term, but they were called nigger frequently by yeah. white police officers. By, by their bosses. They, by their bosses. They yeah. witnessed their yeah. community members being called that word. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there was a chase, and, and please, I have to say this for effect because I'm not trying to be pejorative when I say it, but some some of some of my mentors told me that if there was a chase, oh, nigga just run, got out. The nigga's running through the houses. They would say this on the air as other black police officers was listening to their community be debased. So if it wasn't for a Coleman Young, a, a Bruce Ford, Roosevelt Lawrence, uh, John Henry, uh, 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 Frank Blunt, uh, these cats, they paved the way. In, I mean, you know, uh, Ella Bully Cummings, the first female chief in the Department of History, they paved the way for me. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we have gotten so far away from knowing our history, orally or otherwise, Kari, that you know, a lot of people just think that it's always been this way and it has not. No. We got we got a rich history, a rich tradition in the city mm-hmm. uh, of, of strong black leadership. And we can't let people take that from us and, and, and rewrite our history. We got to tell the story the way it is. I think uh, on that point, we're, we're getting to a close on this conversation. We definitely got to get you back and probably more consistent on a couple different projects because great discussion. Great discussion. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Um on that very point, as we look at black leadership and so much that has changed yeah. and, and where things are and just the opportunities that exist. Mm-hmm. And I run into so many people that say, like, I really want this and I really want right. that. One of the things that a lot of people in America see in chasing is money. Yes. Um, and I always say that, like, Detroit, even to this day, is still ripe, especially a community like mine. Oh, this yeah. is one of the places yeah. you can buy a house. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to roll up your sleeve, yeah. it's not it's not going to be pretty. Oh, exactly. But you, you can learn to do home repair. Absolutely. Now, with this, <clears throat> some of the challenges, like, communities like mine and, mm-hmm. and things, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But, like, different little things, like the abandoned house across the street, right. uh, you know, people kick in the door. And sometimes it's like, okay, are they guessing? Mm-hmm. Will I address this? <laughs> Right. Then I got to secure it. But mm-hmm. what suggestions do you have with, as a former officer for that person that's thinking right now, look, I want to buy some Detroit property, mm-hmm. but I want to secure it. I'm going to live away. How, how do I go about it? Like, what is the way? My thought process is probably ingratiate yourself with the people that have been over there the longest. But right. what do you suggest uh, that person that wants to buy some Detroit property and possibly could become a renter, possibly become an owner or just figure out what they want to do? Well, first of all, just appreciate the value that's here uh, because everybody around the world, there are tracts of land that foreign investors have bought up in the city of Detroit that they've landlocked and they're just waiting. They bought it for pennies on the dollar and they will sell it to developers. So if nothing else, if you can get a hold to land through the land bank mm-hmm. or any other means, buy, buy, buy. And I'm not talking about downtown because you're priced out. I'm not talking about midtown. You're already priced out of those areas. Mm-hmm. But you, you have to understand the principles of American capitalism. It's buy low, sell high. Mm-hmm. And where where we don't value our own and see the value of it and we run from it, we've got to have people like you, uh, Kari, who see our uh, 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 visionaries and invest. So buy, buy it now. Secure it. Um, like how do you how do you secure it? Because that's I have a couple different mm-hmm. people that always ask like security is mm-hmm. this security is that right. like uh, a guy I know was like man I just moved over to this neighborhood mm-hmm. and I always say like well I've been over here so long like I, I 
I know a lot of the challenges that may exist, yeah. and, I, and, and I may even take it for granted. But, yeah, but the security. Know, but money is so scarce over here that you know things yeah. may happen. Money you know, is scarce. Break may happen, but mm -hmm. but how do you secure a property? Like what? Well, from the, all of your experience. From my experience, number one, if you're if it's a property that you're going to occupy, okay. Uh, first of all, with all of the technology we have through the internet, uh, there are so many affordable systems where you can monitor your home remotely. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a very good friend of mine, she called me about a week and a half ago, and you may have seen this. It went viral where a guy came up to her door with a gun in his hand. Yeah. And she called me uh, mm -hmm. and said, you know, Chief, I need help. Uh, you know, she was petrified. Uh, I called Chief Craig. Mm -hmm. Chief Craig got somebody right on. They eventually arrested the guy, felon in possession. He's off the street. That investment she made in her security system to where she could see the person at the door, she knew that this was not a, a, a good situation uh, by her occupying it. And she literally had just moved in that location. Mm -hmm. That saved her life, probably saved her family's life, uh, mm -hmm. and got a, a bad guy off the streets. So first you have to look at it if it's owner-occupied. If it's not owner-occupied, then uh, I would spend a little bit more on the investment of boarding the windows uh, and doors. Because if you just do the, um, uh, the plywood, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to pull that off and go back in. Hmm. If you spend a little bit more on some of the uh, more sophisticated systems to secure the property, uh, then that's one thing. That's if you plan on redeveloping the property for rental or for income. Uh, but if you're just a speculator and you're just holding on to property, a security is really not what they're looking for because they understand the value of the parcel. Hmm. So, the, so it depends on what type of investment you're making. If you're doing it as owner-occupied, that's one perspective. If you're doing it for income property, that's another perspective because you have to contemplate if you're doing any kind of renovations, uh, that, that that material becomes valuable and you don't want them to break into the house and take your pipes and take your you know new mm -hmm. furnace and all those things. Uh, so how well you secure it, a monitored alarm is, is your best option. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I would definitely go with that. But again, something that you can view remotely. And those systems are becoming more and more affordable. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't give plugs out because I ain't getting paid yeah, to. I got you. Because I'm trying, I'm trying to get some sponsorships soon. So I I'll start you. plugging some folks and start paying me for it. Uh, but there are a number of different systems out there that give you that utility uh, to where you can monitor your property remotely. So when you when you recognize that guy, because mm -hmm. like uh, even in this community we yeah. had a problem with like an arsonist. Yes. And they were like, man, this guy going around burning up stuff. And it's like yeah. obviously he's dealing with like some mental, some mental health issues. And everything. Yeah. Like. When you know it and it and it mm -hmm. exists, cause like I'm a part of it. Like sometimes I say, uh, <laughs> I tell somebody he got so mad at me. I'm like, man, sometimes you gotta pay tithes to the hood, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know. What, but but you know, like it's a part. You know, like how do you build that relationship with your neighbors? Like how do you yeah. build the relationship well, if see, you're not a, that, from the community? That, well, see, that's a part of um, uh, what's missing in communities is we don't engage people. It's about relationship. Um, if, if you have a property and you know that there are people in that community that care about that property, you need to have a conversation with them. Don't just roll up in somebody's neighborhood, drop some plywood and roll out, you know, as if you are above the people that uh, you're servicing. And, and, and I think that's a part of the common touch that we've lost. Uh, but if there's a neighborhood association, a block club, one good, one good neighbor, you know, and then you also need to establish a rapport with the local uh, uh, police precinct. Uh, so those are things that are, you know are, are tips. Now, is that going to make it one hundred percent secure? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, there's no such thing as one hundred percent secure. But also, the Detroit Police Department they offer um, crime prevention seminars, mm -hmm. and they have crime prevention techniques that you can utilize to make what your what your what's called harden the target. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So nothing is completely impervious to being broken into, but you can make it much more difficult. And the reality is a criminal is looking for the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, they resist lights. They don't like a, like a lot of lights. So they're looking for dark spaces. So anywhere you can add lighting and locks, uh, you 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 will you will make a difference in securing uh, uh, the the physical property, but also a little sweat equity in the neighborhood. You know, uh, host a block party. You know, do something for the neighborhood that you uh, plan on making your money in. But also, and this is what a lot of people don't do, you've got to contemplate uh, within your investment if it's an investment property the security cost. If you don't contemplate that in in, in your acquisition. And as a part of your budget, you're really doing yourself a disservice uh, because that's got to I mean, it's just the nature of, of now, the societies we live in. Now, this is the guilty pleasure, as I can be a national yeah. sometime question from Kari, as Vice just ran a story on this whole thing. And it's weird because mm -hmm. uh, Eric Sabri, who sits as the uh, treasurer of the county, county yes. and I've known his family for years. Yes. But um, Vice just ran a story about some of these international investors and mm -hmm. just... You know, people basically buying homes where people are renting right. and then f turning around, buying it from the tax rolls and then basically charging rent to people the that couldn't afford to pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, when you were in office, mm -hmm. because really a lot of this stuff really started hitting, you know, Detroit was hit bad by the recession, which I think was a depression in a lot of oh, ways. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, when you were in office's uh, chief of police, because I, I, I know that the the... the the, you know, the these slumlords or whatever have more resources to reach out to police officers and the police department and all of that. And this happened and that happened. Like, like how did, what was your take on that? And how did you even temper this because mm -hmm. of the, you know, I can only imagine what it's like, you know, people living in a house yeah. that their grandma lived in and now she can't afford right. to pay taxes and now she has a landlord. Yeah, well, Eric Sabri has done a, a very good job uh, relative to, the condition uh, the foreclosures, of, yes, but yes. the conditions that you speak of that cause it in the first place, um, that that was difficult. But code enforcement, I think, is very important. Um, and from what I understand, Mayor Duggan has stepped up uh, the resources relative to code enforcement mm -hmm. uh, because making sure that these places are are habitable mm -hmm. uh, and holding these landlords responsible, uh, because I believe that there's uh, a new legislation uh, that is going to require uh, these properties to be registered with the city. Now, that's one thing. Uh, so if they uh, collect the appropriate amount of fees and there's proper code enforcement, uh, I, I really think that's going to help uh, change the landscape of how our citizens are treated. Because these slumlords, they, they, they'll, you know, I mean, they understand, uh, unfortunately, the poverty level in the city of Detroit. Because as, as far as I'm concerned, like I said, walking in, some mm. of the scariest things to be yeah. a Detroit police officer of situations, a cause that I don't want to get. Yeah. I assume uh, uh, an eviction oh, call so, has to be one of the most well, scary the, calls. Well, DPD doesn't do the because uh, that's that's the court bailiff. Uh, I know, but I'm just but, saying. But you're right. If Those DPD are, gets called yeah, into that. Into that. And I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it, 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 no, it can go sideways very quickly. I mean, you're talking about the difference between somebody's, you know, uh, being outdoors and not. Uh, so those are very touchy situations. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, again, that goes to where the cop is called in to deal with a societal problem. That was a problem long before that cop got called. Yeah. But they're the ones that have to mediate peace during that. And it's very difficult call. to watch somebody put out of the home. It really is. But unfortunately, cops have to follow what the court says. If it's a court order, they have to you know, follow it. Uh, but that goes to, again, how participatory are we in the process? Yeah. Because the very judge that signs that order put you out. Did you vote? 
You know, so those are the, you know, and those are things we really have to have those uh, conversations in our community. Uh, and I'm gonna say this one last thing very quickly. As much as I love Colin Kaepernick and what he did for um, setting a platform uh, for police brutality uh, by taking a knee during the national anthem, one thing he did that we have to hold him to task for is he discouraged people from voting. And for him being a multimillionaire that has made his money, I can appreciate the fact that he can see some holes in our political infrastructure. But to take that mentality away from the kid that's on Mac and Bewick, that's on Linwood in Philadelphia, that's 18 years old and feel like they have no power, and then tell them don't vote, and then we see number 45 sitting in Washington, D.C., where you're talking about literally maybe 100,000 votes nationwide that really made the difference between a Hillary Clinton administration and a, a Donald Trump administration, and you got a black man telling black folks don't vote. Uh, as much as I love Colin, I think he needs to do a little reconciliation on that point. Mm-hmm. I really do, because we got to be more participatory in the process, because as, as, as flawed as our country can be, it's still one person, one vote. And I don't care if you Bill Gates or you Ralph Godby, his billions, he walk into the voting booth, I walk into the voting booth, and we both got one vote. And we've got to get that activism back uh, to understand that we can control the political infrastructure that deals with foreclosure, that deals with um, uh, uh, slum lords, that deals with affordable housing. If we don't participate, all we're doing is complaining. Hmm. All right. So classic Detroit is different questions for you. I'm going to ask Kayla these later. All right. <laughs> all right. So, okay. Um, your very first car. What year did you get the car? What year and model was the car? And where did you go when you first got your car? First car I got was a 1978 Mustang. Okay. Um, it was a it was used, and the first place I went I went to what my, year? What year did you it, get? It? Oh, I got it in uh, 1985. Okay. Okay. Got it in 1985. It was a used 78 Mustang. Oh man, you could get so much money for that if you still had that car. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was a hoopty straight. It was up. on the last. Leg. <laughs> it was on his last leg. Uh, but I, I mean, I was proud of it. Uh, my dad helped me get it because uh, I, I I'm just a Mustang fanatic. I love Mustangs. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was the first car I got, and I, I went to my girlfriend's house. She lived uh, in Rosedale Park. Oh, so you drove all the way from the east side? Well, no, no. Actually, at this point, I was on the west side because my parents moved to uh, University District. Okay. Uh, when I was a sophomore at Cass Tech. Okay. Uh, so we were we were there at the time. Uh, so the drive wasn't that bad, but I was so excited to have my own car. I didn't care, but I was the guy that everybody would jump in the car, and we, you know, <laughs> that's when five dollars in the tank meant something. <laughs> so we get you know we squeeze five people in the car, get two from everybody. We was rolling for a while, so uh, it was a, it was a good look. It was okay, a good look. yeah, yeah. You you definitely had to learn how to get a, that that seventy eight Mustang was uh, a heavy. That was made of real. That was not yeah, fiberglass, yeah, right? It wasn't there. fiberglass. They was they was steel <laughs> back then. <laughs> but the transmission was going out. But it, it held up until I was able to do better. So, yeah. Hey, nothing like learning car troubles as a teenager. Man, it 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 humble you real fast. <laughs> it humble you real fast. Get on a date. Yeah. Your car won't start. Won't start. Like, exactly. Let's, let's go back. But one thing, my, my dad was real cool. My dad always kept Lincolns and other stuff, so he would make sure that if I was going out on a date, he would, he would let me drive his Lincoln. So I, I was, and if you know how my dad was about his Lincoln, 
that was quite a stretch. You know? Yeah, I was gonna say he he was a very trusting individual. Because that's one thing in the black community. We you know the the area we grew up. You know, a black man is Cadillac or is Lincoln. That was their baby. You know, that was okay. their sign that they made it. You know, but my dad would let us uh, roll it every mm-hmm. now and then. All right, so um, you're doing a block party <clears throat> after the fireworks on Jefferson. Okay. You got to play three songs. You're the DJ. Oh. What three songs are you playing for Detroiters after the fireworks just finished and you're on Jefferson and everybody's looking at you? Today, that would be, let me see. Oh, my goodness. I'll first have to do something, something with Tupac. Something mm-hmm. with Tupac. You got to give me a song. Uh, I can't let you get away with just uh, artists. California Loving. Okay. Tupac. California Love. Which, yeah. which version? The remix or the, the original? The original. Got to oh, go yeah, with the original. I was going to say, yeah. Got to go with the original. That changed the uh, whole temper. I, I would have to throw in there uh, Eric B. and Rakim. Paid in full. Ah, that's a clap. The remix? The re- no, the, 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 the original. Re- I got to okay, go with the original because okay, okay. okay. those are my guys. And then the the third song would have to be, I got to give some recent love uh, to T. Grizzly, First Day Out. Okay. All right, it'd it be a lot of people down on Jefferson <laughs> relating to the concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so those, those will be my go-tos. I, I'm a hip-hop head. You know, I can um, see. Sugar Hill Gang was like the first rap group that I was exposed to. That was way before your oh, time, Kayla. Way before your time. <laughs> and, you know, the, Check so, yourself. And, yeah. and, you know, that was back when we had the cassette recorders. You listen to WJLB, and you'd have to hope your song come on, and then you record it. And then you pray that the DJ didn't talk too much through your song. Oh, so man. yeah, but no, I, I love I love rap. I love the art. Now I'm not too much into this trap music much, uh, but what I, I, I I'm I'm a lyricist. You know, cast like Eminem, you know Jay Z, uh, those mm-hmm. guys. Nas, you know I love guys that are just dope lyricists. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the beat helps, but a dope lyricist they get me every time. Well, being that you quoted Rock Hill. You definitely do like lyrics. Oh, man. That, Love rock. The one of the greatest. If I have a son, I would have to, uh, I would have to, eat. it's going to be his middle name at minimal. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Last question. If you could rename Woodward after one person, who would it be and why? Oh, Coleman A. Young. No, okay. no, no doubt. No doubt. I, I mean, to me, when you say the mayor, to me, that's still uh, Coleman A. Young. Uh, his legacy, what he stood for. Uh, what he fought for, uh, and what he did. I, I mean, you know, growing up during our time, you had people in their house, they had a picture of Martin Luther King, they had a picture of John F. Kennedy, and they had a picture of a white Jesus, which I, you know, I'm off that tip. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Coleman Young in, in Detroit lexicon uh, felt, you know, I mean, fit right into that group mm-hmm. uh, because he spoke different. He didn't condescend. He didn't back down. Uh, he stood up for his people. Uh, I mean, just, you know, the courage he showed. And then a lot of people sleep on how just, uh, I mean, super intelligent that man was. Uh, you know, he, he, he did things that, um, you know, people, you know, try to pejoratively speak of him nowadays. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you, you don't make friends with Henry Ford II and A. Alfred Tallman. You know, I mean, the literal, you know, billionaire movers and shakers at that time. And they they respected that man, and, and you know, and, and watched him move the city in a direction that it had never been before. The integrated police department uh, on the heels of the 1967 riots and uh, a new charter uh, that gave civilian oversight to a police department to bring Detroit's first black chief of police. Um, I mean, you know, 
and he was a fair man as well. A lot of people don't realize Coleman Young, for every department head, if he had a black department head, he had a white deputy. If he had a white department head, he had a black deputy. And, and black people, we are so fair uh, in our deportment a lot of times when we haven't been treated the same way. But he made sure that he kept diversity in uh, his departments and that there were all points of views. Unashamedly black, man, no, nobody else but Coleman A. Young. Uh, what I, I, I rename Woodward Avenue after. That's great to know. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, man.